Well, glad to see all of you today again. Thank you for joining with us this morning. We are in chapter 9 of Proverbs today. Chapter 9 of Proverbs. The first nine chapters of Proverbs record for us Solomon's lectures to his children. Uh, Bible students divide these teachings a little differently, but there are about 12 different teaching sessions. Uh, The way we have divided them to bring you messages from them brings us today to uh, sermon number 16. And it'll be our final one in this particular series. I have titled our closing thoughts in this series, It's All About Choices. I read something this week where a person said, if you watch HDTV too long, you'll become dissatisfied with your home. If you stay on social media too long, you'll become dissatisfied with your life. If you watch watch the news too long, you'll become dissatisfied with the world. So unplug and pray and read a book, read your Bible, spend time with loved ones, take a walk. Our minds are very easily influenced, and so how or what or the way that we control those influences is going to determine what we're thinking about. So choose wisely. And I don't know how many times I've said this to you, either publicly or in counseling discussions with folks. Some of you, I'm sure, have it memorized by now, at least the first part of the phrase. I've said to you, I don't know, hundreds of times probably, you can't change your life until you change your choices. And you won't change your choices until you change your thinking. We, we can call that a, a life strategy. If you want your life to be different than it is now, if you want your life to improve, if you want your walk with the Lord to be better, if you want your relationships with your family and with everyone else to be better, then you have to change what you are currently doing. You have to change your lifestyle. You have to change your choices, specifically your day-to-day choices. Not just the big choices, but your day-to-day lifestyle choices. Successful businessmen who give seminars on growing your business used to say, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've already got. So even people in the business world understand that you can't change your life until you change your choices. But we have to be sure to add the second half of that life strategy. You won't change your choices until you change your thinking. And by your thinking, I mean what's going on in your heart and your mind, your values, your priorities, your motivations. And that's where the breakdown begins to happen for so many folks. They want to experience life change. They want to try to, or they, they, they try to change some choices, but they never restructure their thinking, their values, their priorities, their motivations, their purposes, their goals. And, and you will never make any adjustments to your day-to-day choices until you change what's going on in your inner man. The heart, as the Bible calls it, the center of your thinking. If you don't make any adjustments to what you feed your inner man, then your thinking will never change, and you will never change your choices, and your life will be the same year after year. Your struggles will be the same year after year. Your discouragements will be the same, etc., etc. You can't change your life until you change your choices, and you won't change your choices until you change your thinking, changing what's going on in your heart. This life strategy is basically what Solomon has been preaching to his kids in all of these teaching sessions that we've been looking at these last 16 weeks. 
He has come at it from several different angles. He has used various word pictures. He has tried to, to illustrate it in various ways, but the principle is very clearly there. It's the principle of the path that we preached to you several weeks ago. It is the contrast between the way of wisdom and the way of foolishness. It is the path of pleasing God or pleasing me. It is self-denial versus selfishness. It is sacrificial love versus self-centered choices. It is, as Jesus called it, the broad way or the narrow way. Building your life on the sand or building it on the rock. Every day we make all sorts of little choices. Word choices, attitude choices, relationship choices, use of time choices, responses to annoying circumstances, responses to frustrating situations. But we are making choices all of the time, hundreds of choices every day. And those choices are the result of what's happening in our inner man. The root determines the fruit, as Jesus so poignantly taught. What's going on on the inside of a man, in your inner man, is what determines the choices that you make. The root determines the fruit. Hold your finger here in Proverbs 9. I want to show you a passage of Scripture, uh, Luke chapter 6. We'll be right to Proverbs 9 in just a second. Luke chapter 6. You'll recognize some of you who are familiar with the Scriptures. You will recognize the parallels in Matthew chapter 7 to this passage. But that wonderful passage, Luke chapter 6, we're going to begin to read in verse 43. And you will see what Jesus is saying, that the root determines the fruit. Luke chapter 6, verse 43. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance or the overflow of the heart his mouth speaks. Let's read on to the end of this chapter. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. You see Jesus teaching again here. It's all about choices. If what's going on in your heart is what's going to come out in your life. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Jesus says, you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I'm asking you to do. And he said, when you hear my sayings and you obey them and you do what I'm asking you to do, he said, it's like you're building the house of your life and you've dug the foundation deep and you've anchored it on the rock. And when the storms of life come, you don't fall apart because the house of your life is founded on the rock. But he said, if you hear what I'm telling you and you don't do it, it's all about choices. You hear what I'm telling you and you don't do it. Then he said, the storms of life come to you and they're going to wash you away. Because you're not built on anything. You're not founded on the rock. 
So back to our thought here in Proverbs chapter 9 again. It's all about choices. You can't change your life until you change your choices, and you won't change your choices until you change your thinking, because life change always starts with heart change. You can mark it down in your life and everybody else's life that you talk to and witness to and try to encourage in the things of the Lord. Life change always starts with heart change. And if there's no heart change, there won't be any long-term life change. It might change for a month, it might change for a couple of weeks, but there won't be any long-term change. There won't be any long-term change in the direction of your life. You ever watch that TV show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? He probably did. It ran in various time slots for about 20 years. We weren't regular viewers. We saw it a couple of times. The, the original game show host, Regis Philbin, would ask the contestant trivia questions. The questions were pretty easy at first, but they got progressively harder and harder. And, and so every question was worth more and more money from 100 bucks up to a million dollars. If you answered all 15 questions correctly, you won a million dollars. But of course, as you all know, if you missed one question, you lost your money. You know, in the 20 years that show was on, there were only 12 people who made it all the way to the million dollars. Now, the questions they asked were based on trivia. None of them had any eternal significance. They were just trivial, insignificant facts that are long forgotten by most people. But some of those obscure facts were worth a million dollars on this game show. But Solomon here, as he finalizes his teaching to his kids, he lays out a choice for us that is far more valuable than a million dollars. It's more than a million dollar question because what's at stake is eternal. It's eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. It's the blessing of God or the judgment of God. It's living with an eternal purpose or wasting your life on things that are as insignificant as modern day trivia. And the choice is which life path will you choose? The path of wisdom or the path of foolishness. And by choosing a path, I mean you start with an individual choice that opens that gate and puts you on that path, and then there is a lifetime of decisions and choices to stay on that path of wisdom or to drift off to the path of foolishness. And here in Proverbs 9, wisdom and foolishness have both given us an invitation to join them. And that's the picture that Solomon paints for us. First, we're going to look at wisdom's invitation. First 12 verses here, Proverbs 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. She also has furnished her table. She has sent out her maidens. She cries from the highest places of the city. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake foolishness and live, and go in the way of understanding. He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself, and he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you will bear it alone. Three things about wisdom. I see her, her, her preparation, and then her invitation, and then her expectation. First of all, notice wisdom's preparation. 
She's pictured as having this large, beautiful home, well-furnished, well-supplied, efficiently operated. Solomon says she has built her house. It's large enough to have seven pillars. In Middle Eastern culture, a home with seven pillars would be a pretty impressive dwelling. It would be kind of like a small palace. Uh, many commentators over the centuries have, have, have labored to try to find all sorts of symbolism in the seven pillars. We won't do that, other than to say that it is generally agreed that the number seven in the scripture is the number of completion, the number of fullness, the number of perfection. There are sevens and multiples of sevens all over the place in the scripture, so lots of things to compare and contrast to arrive at that conclusion. So it is, it's an often used Hebrew expression to indicate fullness and completeness and perfection. So wisdom's house has seven pillars. It's full, it's complete, it's perfected. So in other words, Solomon's saying, you hang out with wisdom and you're not going to come up short. You hang out with wisdom and you're not going to go away empty. You're going to have the insight that you need for life. Her house is full and complete and perfected. And interestingly, in the New Testament, in the book of James, of course, James was also a Hebrew, he listed seven qualities of wisdom, of, of the wisdom that comes from God. In James 3.17, he said, The wisdom that comes from above or comes from God is pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality, without hypocrisy. So wisdom has built her seven-pillared house, and she has prepared this huge feast. She has butchered an animal, she has arranged her table, she has, she has filled it with food, she has mixed her wine, and what they would do is they take freshly pressed grape juice, would generally be boiled until it was syrup-like, and then they would, they would place it in a storage container in a, in, in a cool place. Being in a syrup-like consistency, it wouldn't spoil, and when they got ready to serve it, they would mix it with water, usually three to one, and serve it to guests. It would be healthy, wholesome, virtually impossible to intoxicate you in that form. So wisdom is not throwing a carnal drinking party when she says, I have mixed my wine. She is hosting, she is hosting a fantastic feast. She is sending out her young servant girls uh, to take care of everything. Then she goes to the highest spot in the city and she calls out her invitation. And note what she says in verse 4. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. For him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Come eat of my bread, drink of the wine I have mixed, forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding. She's saying, Come and let me feed you, let me host you, let me bless you, let me encourage you. Let's have this fantastic feast together. Turn away from foolishness and live. Walk in the path of understanding. Most of you know I spent my youth in Florida sunshine and sand and salt water and palm trees and jungle-like woods, along with heat and humidity and bugs and snakes. And many of the stores and most restaurants in those days, when I was a kid, they had signs on the front doors that always read, no shirt, no shoes, no service. I presume they didn't want people wandering around their eating establishments in swimming suits, tracking sand all over the place, and probably, possibly hurting their bare feet and then suing the, the restaurant. In addition to just the modesty and propriety of keeping the beachwear at the beach. Well, wisdom is also selective in who she wants to serve at her feast. She says here, no scoffers allowed. It's not no shirt, no shoes, no service. It's no scoffers allowed. 
If you are simple, meaning you are naive, you can come to my feast. If you are wise, you can certainly come to my feast. But if you're a scoffer, just keep going. Because she said, he who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself. He who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Don't correct a scoffer. You may remember all throughout our study, Solomon talked about these three kinds of people. The simple, meaning the naive person. Not simple as far as a lack of, 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 of intellectual capability. But they're simply naive. They just don't know better. They're doing things because they don't know better. And then you had the simple, you had the wise, and then you had the scoffer, the one who makes a mockery of everything and, and scoffs at God and thinks it's all a big joke. Well, wisdom's calling out saying, the simple and the wise, they're allowed to come to this fantastic feast in her palace, but scoffers don't need to apply. Don't bother to come in. Because scoffers aren't going to listen to wisdom anyway. So she's not going to waste her time trying to feed them. She says, if you're naive, you just haven't plugged in yet, come on in. Let me feed you, I'll nourish you, I'll teach you so you can walk in the path of wisdom. If you're already wise, she said, you're going to get wiser. Verse 9 says, give instruction to a wise man, he will be still wiser. Teach a just man, he will increase in learning. If, you, if you're already wise, you're going to get wiser. <clears throat> but at wisdom's feast, no scoffers allowed. We've seen her preparation and her invitation now look at her expectation. What can we expect from wisdom? You can expect an awesome respect for God, knowledge of God, and a blessed life. Verse 10 is kind of the hinge on which the whole chapter swings. It's one of the most well-known verses in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. 500 years ago, the theologian John Calvin published a book entitled Institutes of the Christian Religion. He began his book with these words. And I'm not going to read it in Latin. This is an English translation. He wrote it in Latin. I can't read Latin anyway. But the English translation of his words are this. True and substantial wisdom principally consists of two parts. The knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. Oh, how wise. True and substantial wisdom principally consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. And he goes on to note that it's hard to say which should come first, the knowledge of God or the knowledge of ourselves. If we don't know who we are, how can we know who God is? But if we don't know who God is, how can we know ourselves? It's only when we come to know God that we discover who we really are. Suppose I were to say to you, define God in, in, in 20 words or less, and I give you 30 seconds to do it. You'd say, hey, wait a minute, Larry, that's not, that's not really fair. Well, you're right, it's not. But suppose I gave you 20,000 words in three years. Would it really be any easier? Could we really come any closer to truly defining God? We often say God, God is incomprehensible, meaning that we can describe Him as the Bible describes Him, but we can't really comprehend all that He is. And you know, if we could, if we could comprehend God in all that He is, and if we could in our little tiny three-pound human brain totally comprehend God, He would not be worth worshiping. Because if we could figure out everything about Him, He wouldn't be any greater than us. 
But, but he is infinitely greater and infinitely wiser and infinitely more powerful and infinitely more awesome than anything that we are ever capable of totally comprehending. That's why he's God and we're not. But knowing whatever we are capable of knowing about God is the most important thing in life. If you live 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 years, or for some of you 90, I hope, if you don't know God, then it doesn't really matter what else you've done with your life. If you don't know God, you have missed the very reason for your existence. If you miss knowing God, you have missed the central reality of the universe. Because everything else in this life is just going to be breadcrumbs and worldly trivia. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If you want wisdom, you have to know God. If you want understanding, you have to seek the Lord. God offers us a feast. God's wisdom offers us a feast. Fullness and joy and satisfaction and belonging and eternal blessing and fellowship. But what about foolishness? She's also calling out to us. Look at the next verses, 13 to 18. A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat by the highest places of the city to call to those who pass by, just like wisdom, calling to those who pass, who pass by from the high parts of the city. Except she says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Interesting. Wisdom makes no preparations. She's just loud and empty and naive. She's sitting at the door of her house. No cow to butcher, no table to set, no servants to feed the food or to serve the food. She just says, hey, let's just have fun. It tastes better if we steal it. We didn't have to do anything to get it. Won't that be great? Nobody has to know. Hey, it might be a little dangerous, but let's take a risk. It makes it more fun if it's dangerous. Sin is sweet. Sin is delightful. Stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. So what if it kills you and ruins your life? You only go around once. Live for today. Woohoo! That's what the foolish woman say. Solomon says, listen kids, he said, wisdom offers a feast. Foolishness just offers a funeral. He does not know that the dead are there and her guests are in the depths of hell. Wisdom offers us a feast. Foolishness offers us a funeral. You see, because the devil works very diligently to hide the connection between sin and death. And when we choose the path of self or foolishness, we're not just making a bad decision. We're choosing the way of Satan over the way of God. And all of the, what we call them, the standalone proverbs in this book, that start in chapter 10 and verse 1, go all the way to chapter 29 and verse 27, all of the, just the one or two verse sayings of the standalone proverbs, they're all unified by this one idea. You can either choose God and his ways, or you can choose Satan and his ways. God's wisdom offers us an eternal feast. Satan's foolishness offers us an eternal funeral. As we said at the beginning of the message, it's all about choices. Choose the way of wisdom. Choose Christ. Choose a relationship with the Lord Jesus. Choose Him today and tomorrow and the next day and the next for the rest of your life. 
Remember chapter 4 and verse 23 we looked at a few weeks ago. Guard your hearts, for out of it flow all the issues of life. Everything that's going on in your life flows out of the inner man. What we do reveals what's happening in the inner man. And unfortunately, we are all bent towards sin. We are professionals at sin. We like it. We love it. We're inclined toward foolishness. And that's why the Lord Jesus Christ entered this world and lived a perfect holy life and walked the path of wisdom in perfect obedience to the will of God the Father. And by God's grace, when He opens our eyes and we repent of our sin and place our faith in Him for forgiveness, He places us on the path of God's wisdom. Although at times we may stumble backwards towards the way of foolishness, we are, if we are in Christ, forever forgiven and forever secure in Him. And only through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ can we experience the ability from God to walk the right path and show the fruit of a holy and wise life. God's grace saves us. God's grace sanctifies us. One day when we reach heaven, God's grace will ultimately glorify us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. By God's grace, may we seek Him with all of our being. Let's pray. Lord, as the old songwriter said so long ago, we've quoted it often, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Lord, we want to be on the path of wisdom. Certainly, if we know you as our Savior, we are on the path of wisdom. We don't always make the right kinds of choices. We don't always say the right things. We don't always have the right attitudes. We don't have the right perspectives. We are all corrupted by our sin natures. And only as we learn more of you and grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and our knowledge of God, and when we have an awesome respect for who you are and what you've said, Lord, we will be on that path of wisdom. We will be growing in the things of God. Lord, I pray for our friends and loved ones, perhaps someone here who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Or maybe they think they have, but they're not sure. I pray, Lord, that they will determine in their own hearts today to resolve that issue. To seek the Lord. Pray that God will open their eyes to see the truth. And they'll repent of their sin and come to Christ. Lord, for we who know you, we certainly make no claim to perfection. We are sinners through and through. And we struggle and we have our ups and downs, but help us, Lord, to continue to make the choice of wisdom, to listen to what you say, to determine by God's grace and strength and help to do it. And may we, Lord, shine the light of the gospel in our lives. May we shine the light down the path of wisdom and lead others along with us. Lord, I pray for each person here today. I'm sure there probably every single person in this room, Lord, if they, if they know you as their Savior, they have at least one person, if not many, that they are praying for and witnessing to, trying to speak to about the Lord. I pray, Lord, you'd open doors for them. 
guide their steps. May we be, Lord, what you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.